Good morning, Alaska, and welcome to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Prentice Pemberton. With Alaskans experiencing increasing rates of anxiety, substance abuse, depression, and other behavioral health problems, it's more important than ever to provide resources to those in need. With a limited road system, challenging weather, and vast distances to cover, Alaska presents unique challenges when it comes to getting goods and services to our rural communities. And the delivery of quality mental health services is no exception. In addition to the logistical challenges, Alaska is also a place gifted with great diversity and cultural pride, making a one-size-fits-all approach to treating behavioral health problems ineffective and often counterproductive. With that as a backdrop, the Hazelton uh, Betty Ford Foundation and the University of Alaska Anchorage co-hosted an all-day educational summit of healing professionals they termed Gathering with Purpose, with the goal of supporting culturally appropriate behavioral health services to every community in Alaska. One of the presenters from that summit, John Solomon, has graciously agreed to join us from his home in Kotzebue to share the history and direction of behavioral health care in rural Alaska. John is an alum of the Hazelton Betty Ford Graduate School of Addiction Studies in Minneapolis, the Director of Behavioral Health for Manilac uh, Association, a tribal health organization serving the Northwest Arctic Borough of Alaska, and is an executive board member of the Alaska Tribal Behavioral Health Directors. Welcome to the program, John. I appreciate you taking the time to join us this morning. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, and I'll I'll start off right away by saying it's Manilik. Yes, it thank you. It took me a while to get that myself when I came up here. Manilik. I, yeah. I meant to ask you that beforehand, and then I got there, and I was like, uh-oh. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you uh, educating me on that. Um, I need to take just a second to remind people that we value listener participation. If you have a question for John or a comment about today's topic, there are three ways to connect with us. In Anchorage, our phone number is 907-550-8433. If you are listening outside of Anchorage, you can reach us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752. And the last way to join us is to email your questions to line1 at alaskapublic.org. you got to spell that out, L-I-N-E-O-N-E. We will do our best to answer your questions on the air. But uh, as always, I'll remind people get in a little bit early because we usually get backed up. Uh, people call in at like quarter till, 10 till, and we are running out of time. All right, uh, John, let's uh, start us off with you telling us a little bit about uh, your background, what led you to Alaska and, and working with mental health in rural Alaska. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I came to the field, kind of I meandered my way to the field. Uh, I spent about 10 years, 15 years as a, a professional musician, actually. So I uh, toured around the country, um, had had my own bout with addiction that, you know, uh, I'm in long term recovery now, but that led me to uh, inpatient treatment at Hazel and Betty Ford. Uh, and then I, I went back out as a musician and I toured around and, and I started doing a lot of kind of public advocacy. I, I realized I kind of had a, uh, 
a soapbox that I could stand on, um, talk about addiction, talk about mental health and in the creative fields. And I realized, you know, as, as touring became, uh, the, the more popular you get, the more tours you have to go on, the harder, <laughs> the harder living on the road is. Right. Um, but I did a lot of talking about mental health and, and realized I kind of wanted to be able to speak from a, a, a place of, of, I guess, more education. So I enrolled in the graduate school. Um, they, they had just started like a distance program. And so I was able to do the graduate school while I was still touring. Um, and then uh, I, I worked in San Diego for a little bit down uh, near the border, working in community behavioral health, and then came up to Alaska um, uh, through IHS. You know, I, I had a I, when I was in school, there, there was a big, there's a big push in, in Hazelden Betty Ford graduate school about what they call cultural competency, right. you know, like cross-cultural counseling. And I, I read this book called Coyote Medicine, and it was about, uh, you know, blending Western medicine and um, uh, Native American practices. And, and I was, fascinated by it it was not something that you know uh, i i had thought about before i mean you know it's a it's a thought but not something that i thought would interest me so much um but i i ended up looking at um jobs on ihs uh that that's indian health services um and and i was looking at mental health jobs and um i it, my wife and I were living in San Diego at the time, and um, it was December. December in San Diego is is its own different thing. You know, it's eighty degrees, and uh, so we were missing winter. It's and, always seventy seven uh, degrees and sunny in San Diego, isn't it? It is. It is, and you know, like you'd think that that'd be great for your mental health, but after a <laughs> while, you know, Christmas seventy seven degrees is you know, and we were missing it. So I kept looking at, at places that were farther north on the Indian Health Services website. And eventually I got to a place, Manilak, which is a tribal health organization that um, was about the farthest north that I could get on that website. Uh, and I expected my wife to kind of rein me in and say, you know, that's that's a crazy idea to move from San Diego to the Arctic. And um, turns out she was missing Christmas and snow as much as I was. So uh, 2019, we packed up, we moved up here. Uh, I've been living here. I was a therapist, um, you know, like uh, the, the, the kind of care that we have to give here, obviously, you know, rural Alaska off the road system real remote, small villages. Um, so when I got up here pre-COVID, it was a lot of flying by bush plane into villages, you know, taking a, uh, um, a sleeping bag and a backpack uh, and a laptop and showing up at the clinic and getting on the VHF and saying, you know, the therapist is in town. Uh, so anybody, you know, like hanging on a shingle saying, here I am. And, uh, you know, you, and you're, you're the one stop shop for that, that whole village. And, you know, 
you try and get to as many as you can and and in a time frame that is helpful but it was it was really it was really tough to see how healthcare uh, the challenges that we have to face up here and so that's kind of uh, what excites me now is is like all the changes that are happening and um, how much we can grow from it like the, the community up here is incredible it's a it's a it's nothing like san diego that's for sure it's a it's welcoming and warm and really community-based um, and and it was hard to see how how much they uh, they have to struggle to get healthcare. you know things that we take for granted in other pla places in the world so that's yeah, kind of what led me up here we have yeah. to think about taking off of work or you know, can we get our kids out of school to take them? I mean, this is a whole nother level. And um, you would get to a village, like how often? Uh, was there a rotation? Yeah, so up up here, the way that we have it structured, you know, I think every tribal health organization, every rural health organization probably structures it differently because we're all trying to problem solve. Um, up, up here, what we had worked out was... Um, based on how many therapists we have, we have a team of therapists and, and we say, uh, you know, you, you get these villages, you get those villages, you know, you kind of, when you get there, they, they let you know what villages you're going to be in. And then um, I was traveling every week. I was going uh, at least two days out of the week. And then I, I had caseloads in, in Kotzebue where I live now, which is kind of the hub village for the Northwest Arctic. So I had uh, Kotzebue and then Kayana and Norvik, which are two uh, villages here. And, you know, and then I'd, I'd bump around to other ones as needed. Uh, but, you know, like every, every two weeks, hopefully. But as you said, you know, in the start of this, weather, travel, right. um, you know, all of that adds up. So then you, you end up going like once every three weeks probably would be a safe bet that I could get out there. Um, you mentioned that uh, the communities are very welcoming and warm. Um, was it difficult as an outsider to, I mean, talking about mental health is a very personal, you know, it's not like going in for a cold or, you know, you have a, something you want to get a mole taken off your face. I mean, it, this is very personal and deep and people have to be vulnerable. Was it difficult building that trust as a person just kind of coming in who's not a part of the community? Yeah, you know, and, and it's um, rightfully so because, um, you know, their, their Western medicine is, has always kind of flown in, done what we do and then leave. Uh, and so there's a lot of mistrust in the community just based on that, um, which, which doesn't spill over into how welcoming and warm they are as personally, right. but as a, you know, coming in as a, a therapist, I think the first thing I, I touched down in Norvik, walked over to the clinic. And the first thing somebody said to me is, well, how long are you going to be here? You know, um, and not just talking about that trip, they're talking about, right. you know, are you going to do your rotation and then move back to the lower 48 and say that, oh, hey, I had this neat experience where this is where they um you know people live and 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 the communities there they they struggle with these challenges every day but 
you know, like you were saying, mental health care is not something that, I mean, across, across the country, the, the stigma is lowering a little bit, but um, it's still hard to, you know, to go into a room with somebody and open up about some of those real deep internal feelings and, and communities up here are no different. I think um, there's, so there's impact values that they have up here um, that uh, one of them is, is, is avoiding conflict. And, and I think that um, there's, there's a natural, um, natural struggle of how to, how to deal with trauma, how to, how to um, open up about things but also have this um, cultural value that is really about avoiding conflict about, you know, it's, that's where like you, you get into the weeds of, of um, what at a lot of folks call cultural competency. Um, um, I think it, it, it was interesting. You know, we talked about that education summit and, and I was so grateful that there were people there kind of holding us accountable and, and one of the folks there from Nome had mentioned, you know, the term cultural humility, right. which is really the right. way you want to, you want to operate because I don't think I'll ever be competent, you know, culturally that's, it's always a conversation. It's a learning experience. And so kind of going into these communities um, and really being the person that learns, you know, stepping into a role of like, I, I want to learn from the elders. Uh, I want to be able to help bring, bring like the, the, the education that I have, bring the, you know, evidence-based practice that I have, but not try and put it on top of um, the, the life here that's been going on for thousands of years. You know, they, um, they know what, works and and me trying to set my evidence-based practice on top of them without um, really being part of the conversation and learning how to be effective that that was a real learning experience right off the bat you know and it's been it it's been incredible to to have the hard conversations to you know to be held accountable and to see where that takes us and you know, I'm, I'm blessed to be here. I'm blessed that the community has welcomed me here. And, and then I get, you know, to get to be in a position that to talk about it and, and, and hopefully help the region. It's, it's, it's been a real interesting journey. I bet it sounds uh, awesome and fascinating and challenging. Um, I just want to take a second. If you're just tuning in, I'm discussing the history, direction, and challenges of de delivering effective evidence-based behavioral health care to rural Alaskans. My guest is John Solomon, um, and we are talking uh, about all those uh, sort of travel challenges and cultural competency uh, issues, which I really do want to get back to and um, talk a little bit more about, because that is such a critical um Part, John, and you mentioned uh, the training. Can you tell us about the Gathering with Purpose training that happened here a couple weeks back? Sure. Um, you know, I've always stayed connected to Hazel and Betty Ford. It's, it's. I'm, uh, I'm a true believer in in what I got to experience as a, a patient. I was very privileged to experience that. Um, 
and it it changed my life. And so then going on to the graduate school and then now working in the field, um, kind of carrying that forward. Um, when they call, I'm always, you know, I'm the first one to jump on board. And, and they had talked about, they wanted to have this like educational summit in Alaska um, to, to really start talking about uh, some of the challenges that, that um, are pretty unique to Alaska. I think, I think the lower 48 doesn't, there's parts of the lower 48 that, that understand this, but um, you know, we, we have, uh, it's more present with us in Alaska, you know, like uh, one of the things I brought up was that um, tribal health organizations, we actually serve about the quarter of a, a quarter of the population of Alaska where, you know, talking to folks in the lower 48, uh, tribal health is not as, um, it's, it's much smaller uh, impact. And, and up here, it really is one of the largest health providers, you know, these tribal health organizations. And so uh, Hazel and Betty Ford invited me in with a couple other speakers. There were some folks from South Central and Cook Inlet Tribe and, and uh, some folks from Hazel and Betty Ford, like uh, Dr. Delisi, who's a psychiatrist that talked about, you know, adverse childhood experiences, which is something that Alaska has, um, you know, deals with a lot of trauma and, uh, and, and that can really affect somebody's uh, resiliency, somebody's you know development of their of their mental health over time. So it was it was a great way to get together and and start having conversations that are sometimes you know challenging. You know that's that's what I I love that people were were able to speak up and kind of uh, hold us accountable and 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 start a conversation where it's like you know even words that we use might not be, you know, every, everything has connotations that, that you don't necessarily understand until you start listening to folks. Um, so it was, it was a great experience. And, and it, it, I've actually made a lot of connections even from that, that we're starting to build more cultural conversations. Cause I think, you know, one of the issues that we've always had, especially up here with turnover in rural Alaska, is that, you know, people are in and out and um, when things get difficult, off they go, you know, to the next place. Not, you know, I, I, I believe in everybody has, uh, you know, an amount of altruism to come up here um, to, to go anywhere for rural healthcare because it, it, it really is a hard uh, job to face like the, the problem solving of this. But, you know, when we start to, learn from communities when we start to actually help build up the community so like my goal is is, is that um the pipeline of people coming at, in from outside slows down and we're starting to you know share that like the the cultural experiences that i've learned here is is has been incredible and it's it's really informed my practice and i can speak back to you know hazelden betty ford i can speak back to people uh about what I've learned and bring, bring folks that have taught me and bring, you know, community members and elders that, that traditionally get left out of the healthcare conversation. Um, so it's, it was, it was a lot of, it was informative. It was challenging. It was, it was, you know, um, fun. <laughs> so, uh, it, and it, it just keeps building uh, how we make 
healthcare um, work for Alaska. And, and through that, it ends up working for other rural health systems. So I've All been, right. I, I've been enjoying the challenge. Yeah, it sounds, uh, I mean, it sounds like humility and understanding your own ignorance um, of, of cultural norms and history and really going in with an open heart and an open mind are, are really, really critical in that capacity um, and trying to listen and learn. Um, so right now we are up against our first break, but I, I do want to get back and talk um, more after the break about what mistakes we have made in trying to deliver. I think with, uh, you know, often a from a good place, but we have uh, butchered a lot of stuff. So I'd like to talk about that, what we've learned and what we're doing differently when we come back from a break. But if you're just tuning in, uh, I am discussing the history, direction, and the challenges of de delivering effective evidence-based behavioral health care to rural Alaskans. My guest is John Solomon, who is the Director of Behavioral Health at Manilac uh, Association, is a, which is a tribal health organization serving the Northwest Arctic Borough of Alaska. And he is an executive board member of the Alaska Tribal Behavioral Health Directors. If you have a question for John or a comment about today's topic, you can reach us in three ways. In Anchorage, our local number is 907-550-8433. Outside of Anchorage, you can call us toll-free at 1-888-8353-5752. That's 1-888-353-5752. Five seven five two, and the last way to get your questions on the air is to email us at line one at alaskapublic.org. After the short break, uh, we will continue our conversation with John Solomon. I'm Prentice Pemberton, and you're listening to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. On June 11th, Alaska will have the first round of a special election to fill the open seat in Congress. Every Alaskan voter will receive a ballot in the mail. In the June 11th primary, you can only vote for one person. The ranking happens later. Pick your favorite candidate, sign, and get a friend to sign as well. Then mail it back. And remember that June 11th is the Pick One primary. This message sponsored by Alaskans for Better Elections. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. For those of you who are just tuning in, I am discussing the history, the direction, and the challenges of delivering effective evidence-based behavioral health care to rural Alaskans. My guest is John Solomon. He is the Director of Behavioral Health for the Manilac Association, a tribal organization serving the Northwest Arctic Borough of Alaska, and 
is an executive board member of the Alaska Tribal Behavioral Health Directors. If you have a question for John or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call or send us an email. Email is line one at alaskapublic.org. You can call us locally at 907-550-8433, and our toll-free number is 1-888-353-5752. Okay, I have a couple of emails I want to get to real quick uh, from the same person. Um, They ask, has your guest seen the book titled When Society Becomes an Addict? It was written by an Arkansas Indian woman. I haven't. You know, one of the one of the things I love when I talk to folks is is getting feedback that that leads me down uh, uh, a new direction. So I've I've already uh, I'm typing that as we speak. I love the title um, because we uh, <laughs> we are consumers um, and and very addictive. And I think social media and the electronics that has only added and fueled that. So I'm going to look into that one as well. It sounds like an interesting book. Um, and then the same emailer said, he's got it. That's got to be at least 50% of the solution. I think uh, she said, was, said kindness. Um, and I would add to that humility. So it sounds like... Uh, our our listener thinks you're on to it. Um, I, I learn from the community. That's the that's the thing that like coming up from San Diego. I remember my wife and I being um, shocked at how uh, kind everyone was here, and it just like woke us up to the fact that like oh yeah, kindness is how we deal with each other. You know, we were just so used to San Diego where you know, you're, you're in this huge mass of people and the, you know, the idea is to be closed off from everybody where here it's a much more community based. Um, so even things like that, you know, is it, it, I, I'm taken back to, you know, we, we all learn kindness as kids, but then to be shown kindness in practice in a, in a small community in rural Alaska is, uh, that was nice and eye opening for me. Yeah, that takes you back to those days where you're supposed to treat everybody the way you want to be treated and, um, yeah, be nice to your neighbor. But that inclusiveness, just really welcoming you into the community is a uh, great reminder. Um, All right, I I want to get to, like, historically. uh, Well, before we do that, let's go ahead. We have uh, our first phone call. Um, I believe it's Stu who has a question for you. You're on line one, Stu. Go ahead. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, ongoing problem in our communities, uh, and probably every community, but um, we were made aware uh, a few years back that um, uh, I call it shunning, but it's basically um, problem people in the villages uh, do get the boot um, when uh, they come up to uh, discussions at their councils or whatever they call it. Um, some people kind of have to hit the road, and we all know where they end up, and it's in our communities here in Anchorage. And I was just wondering if there's any uh, systematic uh, process going on or has it even been, been considered to figure out 
you know, what issues people have that are getting the boot out of the, some of the villages that are coming to live, uh, you know, often homeless in our communities. And, you know, for example, uh, people are often talking about uh, arson now, and we, we know that, you know, uh, always inebriated and, uh, you know, pedophilia and those things do come up and uh, they have become a problem in our areas. Um, is there any systematic system, <laughs> sorry, where, um, you know, Joe Blow has this problem, he got kicked out of this village, and now he's, um, you know, he's in uh, Brother Francis or the Sully uh, in the winter, and in the summer he's in uh, Russian Jack or Kincaid or whatever. Uh, is there been any process uh, to consider figuring out what issues people have that are being basically kicked out of the villages? All right. Uh, John, I'll let you tackle that one. Yeah, no, that's a, it's, it's such a complicated issue. You know, I, I one of the things that, uh, and, and not to digress a little here, but one of the things that I've learned um, that is so effective up here is, is you know, storytelling. And um, I often, it's tough to get on, on radio programs or, or talk with folks and, and, um, boil things down to a, a, a clear narrative because everything is so nuanced. Um, you know, we, we do see the communities up here, you know, uh, lack a lot of law enforcement. And so, you know, problem solving how to deal with situations, you know, there's a lot of solutions that come up. And, and I think our job as tribal health organizations is, is to try and support a community as it as it you know is self-directed you know and and some of the the folks that are getting or you know either you know to borrow a term from the lower 48 self-deporting or you know getting deported from their communities is to really connect with uh, other aid agencies and other organizations across the state and I think that's that's part of what has been growing with healthcare in general is is an idea of we can be connected. Um, you know, there's a lot of push because of stigma, because of of um, you know the past is like you very private. We want to be very private. We want to keep confidentiality of everything. Um, but sometimes that can be counterintuitive to helping people. And so somebody that you know is leaving a community up here, going to Anchorage. If you can't work with them and work with an agency in Anchorage, you know they're they're going to lose that help that they need the, that our community in general, our state needs because we need we need to get folks help um, so that we can stop some of these issues. I, you know, I wish I could I wish I could say that that there's a system I can point to right now, um, but I know that it's 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 a conversation that that needs to happen more and more is how do we build those those bridges those referral networks those uh and, and you know and a lot of things too is like building the trust with the community knowing that hey you're self-governing and and i respect that completely because these you have different you you've had to deal with different things like like not having law enforcement that's that's a i can't imagine living somewhere where you know there that that you know elders and and family members have to come together and decide how do we how do we deal with this situation um, so you know 
building a system around that uh, instead of putting our system on top of it. That's that's what uh, you know we we were, we were going to start talking about like some of those things that haven't worked and. And I think that that's, that's traditionally what happens is, you know, I come in from the lower 48 or I'm from, you know, somewhere where I would say, hey, I've got this system, it works. And then you try and put it on top of uh, tribal government or a, a community that, you know, like I, I, I would be blind to say, oh, you know, the community will just buy this because it, it'll work. And it's like, well, maybe it doesn't work up here because you're not listening to how the community operates. And, and so really, you know, like, I'm glad the caller brought up this point of like connecting. Um, the, the state has to be interconnected. We don't have roads. We don't have, uh, you know, like, even though we're, we're so remote from each other, we really do have to interconnect as a health agency, as a government, you know, to to make sure that we are following people across these these barriers so that we can get help it's a it's an interesting problem and and you know people laugh at me at how excited i get about problem solving um, because these are the challenges that um, if we can figure out solutions for some of these challenges they'll make the biggest impact yeah i want to i want to ask you a question because i want to touch on something that um Stu said that sort of, I don't know, it stuck with me the wrong way, but um, what are, it was a good question, but what are the reasons that people get kicked out or shunned from their villages and aren't allowed to come back in? What are the primary causes of that? You know, I, I can't really speak a lot to that because um, uh, the, the situations that I've seen, um, you know, just personally and, uh, a lot of it has to do with safety and, and, you know, like, um, how do you, it, I don't think it's a, it's a, I don't think it's a, a, a good decision anywhere. Like, I don't think even the people making that decision are, are, are happy about it. You know, uh, there is a lot of concerns if you're weighing safety of a community, weighing safety of a, a person even, you know, like there's a, there's this thing in addiction counseling where we talk about separating with love, um, right. where, where sometimes you, you have to have these boundaries that, that say you can't, you can't live this way here in, in this relationship, you know, and, and, you know, maybe it's on a more meta version of that, but, um, you know, like we, we have to, we have to accept how a community wants to, to govern themselves because they are the, the ones living there and, and experiencing things. Um, I, I haven't experienced any sort of situation where I didn't, you know, where it was out of left field or anything. I mean, I think we see things like, um, you know, violence and drug addiction or drug, drug selling, not just addiction. You know, usually communities, the first thing they right. want to do is connect people with help. So the the reason I asked that question and I bring it up is because I think we need to be really, really careful not to paint broad, you know, brush strokes of people because he mentioned the word pedophile and, you know, like, don't want to get this idea. I, my experience is that most of the people um, who have been shunned and are homeless in Anchorage are struggling with addiction um, and perhaps all those things that go along with addiction, like um, you know, inter-family violence and 
selling of drugs or bringing alcohol into the communities that don't want them. And so um, it's just we want to be really careful not to use those sort of, um, I don't know, criminalizing people and making people afraid because these are human beings that are struggling with a very real uh, condition that is is tough to break and tough to beat. Yeah, you know, it, uh, that's thank you for for saying that. I think um, uh, I I look at my own history. You know, I'm in I'm in recovery myself, uh, and uh, oftentimes it's something that people don't want to talk about. Is is most drug dealers are addicts, right? You know? And yeah. and and it's and a lot of things that drive um, any behavior and addiction is is just feeding that addiction. And so um, it really is like, yeah, if you think of hum, humans first and then uh, diseases second, um, there is, and you know, like it is, there's a lot of, a lot of trouble with rural healthcare and the fact that we can't get people the help that they need a lot of times. I'm not, I'm not saying um, like, specifically there i just think systematically there there you know the the united states in general is working hard to to meet the needs and and sometimes like with the pandemic those needs get higher and higher you know and and sometimes they outpace our healthcare system and then with rural healthcare we're you know we we do rely on on places like anchorage and that that have some of these higher levels of care that we can send folks to um because you know, I I wish that um, we were able to provide inpatient care for for people in region, but sometimes uh, the region over, you know, like keeping people as close to home as we can yeah. actually does a lot for them. Yeah, because addiction um, is about connection, and when we sever those connections, um, it is really, really it, it increases the difficulty of overcoming that and working on that. So, I do want to go to a phone call. Stuart um, wants to uh, has a comment about just what we're talking about. So, Stuart, you're on line one with John Solomon. Go ahead. Hi, thank you, John. Thank you. Um, I just uh, I heard the, the initial comment from the gentleman talking about folks coming uh, from the villages to Anchorage, and it just kind of smacked like otherism to me. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I wanted to make a point that, that Alaska has always been sort of a depository for for the unwanted, and that that happened before statehood. That happened with Russia. They didn't exactly send us their best people, and and that was their way of getting rid of problem citizens. In, in Russia, and then in the United States, same thing. And we've always had this sort of blue-ticket mentality in the world where we just sort of shove off problems on other people. Thank God Anchorage has developed uh, a very comprehensive, in my opinion, um, you know, approach to, uh, to behavioral health. And, and, and maybe, you know, uh, being successful creates its own demand, but you know, I say we stop the otherism and, and pointing fingers and saying that this is the problem. And in fact, the problem is is universal. Nobody wants to deal with this. Nobody wants to pay for it. And I, and I don't maybe that caller didn't mean for it to sound like otherism, but uh, I think the buck stops here. We have the, the, the capability here in Anchorage and the, and the, and the, and the resources. Um, let's 
let's pull together and be decent human beings about it and say we're going to take care of this problem here. And that's all I wanted to say. All right. Thank you so much, Stuart, for that call. And I, I agree. I don't think, uh, I don't think Stu meant it in that way. And that's, I think, a lesson on the importance of how we speak about things and the words that we use. So um, that's a lesson for, for all of us, because love and compassion and, and treating humans, I mean, hurt people hurt people. And as uh, John pointed out, um, most drug dealers are addicts themselves and working to support that habit, which has sort of taken over, hijacked their brain, so to speak. So, um, John, do you have anything to add to that before we take our last break? Yeah, no, I, I think it transitions nicely into the, the, the conversation about telehealth, you know, and, and how we can um, start to reach people in their communities. Um, so, yeah, we can come back and talk about that uh, after the break. We will do that. So if you're just joining us, I am discussing the history, the direction, and the challenges of delivering effective evidence-based behavioral health care to rural Alaskans. My guest is John Solomon, who is the director of behavioral health for the Manilak Association, a tribal health organization serving the Northwest Arctic Borough of Alaska, and an executive board member of the Alaska Tribal Behavioral Health Directors. If you have a question for John or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call or send us an email. After this short break, I'll let you know how you can reach us, and we will continue with more of our conversation with John Solomon. I'm Prentice Pemberton, and you are listening to Line One, Your Health Connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line One from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line One on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Parents, did you know that one out of four Alaska high school students currently use e-cigarettes? E-cigarettes are easy to use and easy to hide. What teens breathe in and out from e-cigarettes is not safe. It contains cancer-causing chemicals, toxic metals, and nicotine. Nicotine can lead to addiction. It can harm brain development and hurt memory, learning, and attention span. Parents, talk to your teens about vaping. Visit livevapefree at alaskaquitline.com. This message sponsored by the Alaska Tobacco Quitline. Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I am your host, Prentice Pemberton. If you're just tuning in, I am discussing the history, the direction, and the challenges of delivering effective evidence-based behavioral health care to rural Alaskans. My guest is John Solomon, the Director of Behavioral Health for the Manilak Association, a tribal health organization serving the Northwest Arctic Borough of Alaska and is an executive board member of the Alaska Tribal Behavioral Health Directors. If you have a question for John or a comment about today's topic, please give us a call in the next, oh, five or ten minutes um, or send us an email. You can reach us in Anchorage at 907-550-8433. You can call us toll-free at 1-888-353-5752, and our email is line one at alaskapublic.org. Uh, before we get into telehealth, which we will get into quickly here, um, I do want to read an email from uh, Audrey. She says, Manilak has a traditional foods program. Um, well, it's a native food as suicide prevention is the name of the email. She says, Manilak has a traditional foods program. Can your guests comment on it 
uh, to address the suicide crisis and overcrowding part um, due to a lack of housing. 20 people in a three-bedroom home in St. Michael, and uh, she says that 60% of Alaska Natives are under 18 years old. Yeah, that's a that's a big that's a big email, you know. Like, uh, so we do have a traditional food um, one of the so that's kind of outside of my department, but I know that like we've developed uh, seal oil that we can serve in our elder care facility, which is which is pretty neat that to go through the process of getting things kind of approved to um, like seal oil, because um, uh, usually in uh, kind of institution there's there's guidelines about right. what kind of food to serve and um but i think that speaks to like how we're trying to think within the community not um you know putting the government's ideas onto health you know um and then uh, you know the the overcrowding is a real it's it, you know we have housing crisis up up here i think a lot of rural communities will have house, have a housing crisis you know um because it's it just the the nature of 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 being in the Arctic, um, uh, you know, like uh, it's hard to it's hard to tackle a problem like that. And that's actually those things that you you I don't know if folks know about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Which yeah. is you talk about yeah you talk about like how you're going to um, help people um, with mental health, you, you got to deal with things like housing and food first, you know, and, and I think a lot of people, uh, outside therapists or something come into a region and think I'm going to, I'm going to do a lot of talk therapy and it's going to make these huge changes when the, when some of the most important things you can do is, is focus on housing and safety and, and food and, and, and utilities, you know, those are the things that will get people to a place where they can start to, dig into mental health care. It's hard to uh, talk about depression and anxiety when you're in survival mode. Um, as, as you reference the hierarchy of needs, you meet those things and then people can start to open up and deal with their feelings, right? But um, when you're trying to eat and find shelter, uh, it's not time for, for doing that. All right, so COVID-19 had a... Uh, impact on so many of us in so many ways, but one of the things that came out of it that might be considered a light um, was telehealth and access. So can you uh, talk what you've discovered, what we have learned, and and how that's changed things? Yeah. So, I mean, that that to me is like the 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 thing that has been the, the biggest change in, in the region since I've been here, I, you know, um, with the telehealth flexibilities that went into effect with COVID, here in rural Alaska and in, in remote, you know, Northwest Arctic, we saw such an incredible increase in um, service utilization to the point where what I started to tell people, you know, in Anchorage and legislators and and you know uh, the healthcare industry. It's that you know when you go from uh, you, you, like five people in a substance use program to sixty people in a substance use program in the course of a couple months. It's not because suddenly you know fifty five more people had a substance use disorder. It's it's that these people were waiting for care 
And for the first time, we've been able to access care. Um, the, you know, like uh, we talk about, you know, that, that connection of, of, of rural communities and Anchorage. It's so much of our care was based on like people had to fly from this community to Kotzebue and then fly from Kotzebue to Anchorage. And, and, and suddenly being able to talk with somebody over the phone and, and they're able to start substance use counseling. They're able to, you know, um, meet with the therapist every day, every other day, you know, and go to a substance use group. It was, it was just incredible. It was astronomical. We had 800% increase in our substance use groups. <laughs> I mean, we, we were just blown away here. We didn't know, I mean, it, 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 the numbers, I, I, I thought I had done all the math wrong, you know, because I'm like, that, that can't be possible, but we were seeing it. And I think it, it, it speaks to like how important, um, thinking outside of traditional healthcare models is to serving Alaska, serving rural Alaska, because, you know, there's always been this idea with mental health care that, you know, face-to-face -face is where you're going to make, that's what is going to be the most important. You've got to see body language. You've got to, um, you know, you've got to be in a group setting with other folks. And, and that's true to an extent, but then, you know, you can't, it's not a zero sum game. You know, you can't say if you don't get those, then you don't get healthcare, you know? Um, and that's, that's kind of what we saw in Alaska to the point where, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they, they passed a, a telehealth bill, uh, like nearly unanimously. It was a, a wildly bar bipartisan, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> legislation that, that passed because everybody saw how important it was to Alaska. And, and Manilak, the, this rural provider, uh, you know, we're suddenly on the forefront of telehealth. You know, we're one of the first states across the nation to, we, we beat the federal government to it, you know, because we see how important it is to, to our region. And, and it's, been, it's been really important to the, the cultural aspects here because, you know, one of the, the coolest things that I saw was that our behavioral health aides, which are um, our folks that live, they're, they're in the community, they live in the village, they, you know, like, um, they, they work alongside, you know, a, a village of 300 folks, they're, they're our behavioral health person that is in the clinic. And before, all they could do was see people as they came into the clinic, but now they're able to run groups and, and work with other villages within the region, you know, like a, um, it's just been better for the community because uh, we're building up uh, providers here and it's better for the region because we're keeping people at home. Uh, they're able to access care earlier. And, uh, you know, it's, it was crazy to see, to work with like AARP, the American Cancer Society, you know, the State Medical Association, everybody all agreeing, hey, wait, Alaska did this right. We need to, you know, all get together. And, and so, I, I mean, I can't, I can't speak enough about how incredibly important telehealth was and, 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 and still is. And it's, it's neat to see how it affects this, this region and how Manilik has been like um, able to suddenly meet the needs 
that for years we've been traditionally unable to 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 reach everybody and now people are able to reach out to us so uh you know i i talk about my big thing is systems and 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 not going into a community with a system already designed in your head because you've got to be able to see how a community operates and how how healthcare will work for them because they will tell you you know how how does the community want healthcare to work and you know suddenly being able to to utilize behavioral health aids as our, our substance use providers it i think people they're going to groups about impact values and um i think our most popular group is led by an elder who teaches impact values and um and it and it's so prescient to substance use care in the region where i could come in with my evidence-based practice that's based on evidence of you know 80 percent white people in middle class america right and it's like that's not the evidence that you know that's not true evidence-based you know where we're here we're able to work in the community um i just i've been so passionate about telehealth you know uh, i've been so excited to to talk to legislators like uh you know rep Sponholtz and Senator Wilson, they like everybody was all on board with it. It was it was incredible to to see it go through, uh, you know, in in these partisan times, to see everybody get on board because it was so clearly uh, a benefit. Yeah, there's very very little that uh, the politicians, the two sides, seem to agree on. So um, that must tell you it has some some real credibility and uh, some value to it because I think it speaks to our earlier caller, Stu, and about moving uh, moving upstream, right, of the problem um, rather than trying to uh, cram people into the limited treatment options that we have here in Anchorage, um, really trying to serve people in their communities and keep them with their families and their friends and um, how important, like that seems critical. Like I can't overstate how critical that, that appears to, you know, on the, on the surface. Yeah. And, you know, like, uh, I, Hazel and Betty Ford, you know, one of the things that they, they talked about was you can't, you can't run from addiction. You can't run away from mental health. You know, like, like I could move and that doesn't mean that suddenly I'm going to, my life's going to get the better and and so being able to work with people in the community like somebody in Norvik who you know wants to attend substance use counseling will get to learn how to deal with being sober in Norvik versus being sober in Anchorage those are two different things yeah. you know um and and so I I'm excited about like the outcomes I'm excited about what this means for the community I'm excited about what this means for providers because, you know, if, if we're able to really say, you know, distance delivery of services is, is, is viable and, and important. Um, I'm excited for all the behavioral health aides that are going to go on and get their master's degree and be, you know, and be in my position. Cause I like, um, you know, I'm here as a student, I'm here learning and, uh, you know, having elders lead groups that are just, you know, busting at the seams because it's the, 
it's so much more impactful to learn from your community and to be part of that and and deliver healthcare to your community. You know, it's I I just uh, you know like uh, people know that I I will I will preach telehealth uh, anywhere anybody gives me a uh, an opportunity to because I've seen it on the ground here where a lot of people think oh it's about it's about ease of access like oh you know it, it, wouldn't it be better to call uh, versus drive across town well that we don't even have that option you know um, I, I just you know being a therapist who has has seen you know has lost clients um, to suicide to addiction um, you know to see suddenly that ability to like maybe maybe we can get the care that that I was able to get in the lower 48, maybe, maybe you know, it's time that finally uh, rural communities in Alaska get to have that care. Yeah, access, access, access. Um, it can't be done without that. And I think that is uh, all the evidence and the research that I've done and looking at the, the different studies have indicated that telehealth is quite effective. Um, so I got an email real quickly. We just were running out of time, but uh, email from Thomas. It says, what are you all doing to educate Alaska Native youths about mental health, um, especially telehealth re resources for rural folks? Yeah, you know, um, we're, we're working hard right now to, to build like a community engagement in just wellness. And, you know, there's a lot of people coming out of our COVID uh, caves that we were all in for a long time and 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 being able to start that community engagement again is is huge I, you know one of the things that i learned uh i think that youth were actually much better suited to to this type of service delivery they talk about you know texting is you know if if you if you can get any engagement it's better than no engagement and and uh I remember I, I had like teenage girls on my caseload when I was the therapist and it was so hard to be a 40 year old guy, you know, going into a room and knowing that they didn't want. We to speak are to me. out of time, John. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I really appreciate you joining us and sharing your wisdom with us. My thanks to Line One producer Adeline Baxter and our audio engineer Tobin Shelby. For all of us at Line One, Till next time, I'm Prentice Pemberton. Have a great day, Alaska. Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.